In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Again, we have the opportunity to continue to consider this word that is before us. And uh, I come here prayerfully that God would place this matter upon your hearts, that he would... uh, Give to each of us something that would be possible to take home as substance and food for the soul. I have to acknowledge a certain fearfulness, also some fatigue. It seems like this jet lag doesn't seem to want to leave because of the time changes, but the Lord is able to strengthen, I know. And he has strengthened to this moment. And uh, yet, this is such a precious time when we can gather in the Lord's name. And uh, the Lord himself has promised to speak to us. The Lord himself has promised to give to us that which we need if we will but ask him. The promise that the Lord Jesus makes, he says that you who are fathers know how to give good gifts to your children. And if your child would ask a fish, would you give him a stone and so forth? And he said, how much more does your heavenly father is willing to give to you the Holy Spirit to them that ask? He desires that we ask him. We know by heart that part of the scripture that says, Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. And we don't want to be that kind of people that have uh, such um, assurance that we know, we understand, that, in other words, to say, I stand. Because the the Lord says that, uh, in, this, in the words of the apostle, says that, that let no man think that he standeth, lest he fall. It is something that we don't stand on um, what we have in our knowledge, but that which the Lord has put there. And it is firmly rooted in the scripture, and on that which we can trust that this that we have received is of the Lord. I have thought to read from the scripture from the seventh chapter of the Gospel of St. Luke, a familiar portion again, and it is the portion that speaks of the loving kindness and the tender mercies of our God. The latter part of the chapter, beginning at the 36th verse, Luke 7, 36, and we read these words in the name of Jesus. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went down into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. And there was a a certain creditor which had two debtors. 
The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, and thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Amen. A glimpse into the heart of our Heavenly Father. And we are able to see here of what nature God's kingdom is and to who, whom it belongs. It belongs to the ones as described here. And yet, this Pharisee was doing a good work. It was certainly noble of him to invite this man Jesus into his house to eat. And we can visualize what a wonderful meal he had set before him. And the Lord received it. But it so happened to be that the Lord God from heaven arranged something that this Pharisee did not expect. Because when the Lord Jesus, our Savior, our our Redeemer, comes near to us, beloved. He always has something with which to instruct us, with which to impart to us of that way that brings life eternal, joy and peace and gladness to the soul, that way that is called the way of wayfaring men. Though a man be a fool, he should not err therein. It is that way that this Pharisee yet not had come to understand and was amazed at this which transpired before his eyes. But the Lord God from heaven had arranged it because when he went about to bring this gracious work to this sinful woman who was so in need of the forgiving mercies of our Heavenly Father and our God at the same time, It was an opportunity to teach this man that didn't know anything about what really sin was. Though he was a Pharisee, a man who had put his whole devotion in all his life into serving God and to keeping the law. He was one who had studied undoubtedly to be classified in that group of being a Pharisee. He knew something about the demands of what the law of God taught. But it did not seemingly apply to him. It was not able to reach him. And it is defined as such in the scripture that even those who desire to be under the law, the question is asked, don't you hear the law? And here is the problem, beloved. 
that uh, man whose ears are dull of hearing, though the law has a precious word in it to instruct man how that God is holy, man cannot bring that message onto his own heart to the point of that reality that he is nothing but sin until Almighty God intervenes. And here was the opportunity that the Lord saw good for him. And when he had prepared this um, invitation for Jesus to come into his house, he had set all things in order. And it tells us here, one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a sinner in the city, which was a sinner, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus was at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and did wipe, wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Can you even visualize this taking place? Here the Lord was as a special guest in this Pharisee's house. And this woman disrupted that meal to come to be near Jesus. I don't think that she was trying to be disruptive. I don't think that she, her intention was to make any kind of a scene. But I think the need within her own heart was so great that sin had become so exceedingly sinful that there was only one from heaven that had been revealed to her as the only one in all the world that could be of help to her. There was only one that could come to her to bring the words of everlasting life. And she undoubtedly had come to know that this man was the friend of a sinner. Otherwise, would she have possibly dared to have come into this house that way? But she came there in such desperate need. And beloved, when God Almighty begins to work in our hearts, there's a desperate need arise that arises there. Nothing else could suffice to take that pain and that suffering that we are enduring. Nothing else can remove that guilt, that accusation that is upon our conscience. Nothing else could suffice to alleviate that tormented soul but him who is the friend of the sinner. And she came boldly into that house. And there was hope given to her that he would help her. And that is where the gospel does lead. It shows the person that it doesn't hide any sin. That one who is in that condition of heart and soul doesn't need to be pressed down further into the mire to be more condemned of her sin. They need to hear the gospel. That gospel message is alone able to lift one up. And uh, it was there that she felt that she could hear a message 
that would satisfy her. And she goes there and uh, to um, show her love to him, she brings with her this alabaster box of ointment so that she could show him some favor. It typifies to us that which alone we can give to God. What have we been able to give but our sins before God and our thanksgiving for the work of grace that he has accomplished in us and will accomplish? And there, beloved, is that which alone is acceptable to God. We can't bring him any work that he would, that we would merit anything from him. But what God wants of us is that we would be thankful for what he has given. To be able to praise his name and to thank him. The world doesn't know how to thank him. The thanksgiving that God receives has come from such as this woman who make up even today the kingdom of God here on earth. Those people who have been cleansed of their sins as this woman became. But there was such a thankfulness that she saw that she wanted to bring to him because she saw that she was he was one that could help her, and he, she brings this alabaster box of ointment and begins to um, wash his feet with the tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Doesn't that show us a picture, a tender picture of her great love toward this Lord and Savior, the one who she come to entreat that he would help her. And beloved, if anyone comes to Jesus, there's a promise that is made. He says, he will in no wise cast out. You young people that are timid, who often feel powerfully your sinfulness, remember that Jesus is one who has said, Come unto me. That's the watchword of the New Testament. Come unto me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He asks us to take his yoke upon us and learn of him, because he is meek and lowly of heart, and you'll find rest unto your soul. How could we repeat that enough? Beloved, we cannot find the words so often except to speak of our own experience how that when I was as a young person it seemed that that uh, the guilt of sin so pressed me down that it was so difficult to believe that I was even a child of God even though I had not denied his blessed name and that by the grace of God as a childhood Christian I wanted to confess his name, but you know the enemy of the soul goes about in that way that he, in his tracks of following in any way the enemy, there is destruction and misery and pain and sadness. Beloved, 
the devil tells us, and especially to the young, that it's not so bad if you live just a little bit contrary to the word of God and his spirit. You can get by with that. But the more we have listened to that lie of the enemy, the devil, Satan, the more we have come to find that that peace that abided in our conscience, it evaporated. That joy by which we are able to uphold our hearts and the Lord is up able to uphold us diminished. And it was laborious to confess the Lord's name. But, beloved, I would still encourage you, do not deny the Lord. And the Lord has promised that he will uplift, he will strengthen you, he will carry you. The elders, Brother Rico and other ones, have said, don't deny Jesus, don't put away Jesus, put away your sin. That's good counsel, is it not? And so, when the Lord has, by his grace, been able to allow us to speak truth, we have rejoiced in what has been given to us. Because where the fruit of the Spirit um, is manifest, there's always blessings. The love that God gives us, it leads us, it encourages us, it exhorts us unto truth. This part of our human flesh that we carry is always resistant to that, is always contrary to that. But the gospel power is such a force that it is able to lift where it seems impossible. Does not the scripture tells us, tell us that, that what is impossible for man, God can make possible. There's not one believer here who has not a personal testimony of the life-giving power of the gospel. And we are all born the same way. We are born by the power of his word and the, of the gospel. And we have rejoiced in it because we have come to see that There is only one way to enter into the sheepfold, and that is through the door. We can enter into the church, and we can be uh, in that church, and not have entered in through the door. Jesus says, he that climbs up into the sheepfold some other way is a thief and a robber. But the one that comes in through the door, the porter opens that door to us. The porter is the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. It leads us unto all truth and unto all righteousness. The Spirit of God, we don't ever want to diminish its power. And what a horrendous uh, mistake and... uh, um, injustice to God's word is to when a person would undermine the power of the third person of the Godhead of the Trinity. 
to say that the Spirit of God is not able to do what it is instituted to fulfill. But the Spirit of God is able. It calls, it gathers, and enlightens the whole Christian earth, Christian church on earth. That's what it has done for us. When we have been able to believe that Christ Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. So now, when she has come here, she begins to wash the Lord's feet with her tears. And now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known what manner of woman, who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, for she is a sinner. He was appalled at the fact that, that this sinner would touch the Lord. And uh, he also must not be who he says he is, because if he would have known, if he were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. He despised that sinner. And he looked at the one who was in his house and undermined his own office because he allowed such a thing that this woman would come and touch him and wash his feet with her tears and so on. Beloved, we recognize how much Jesus loved that sinful woman. And our hearts rejoice in it. Our hearts rejoice in the measure of grace that was revealed there. But do you know that Jesus loved that Pharisee just as much? Just as much as that sinful woman. And he would go to every extent, to all ends of the earth, to find that one. Even as it says in the 18th chapter of Matthew, how that of the ninety and nine that were lost on the mountain. And he says that if so be that he finds it, he will bring that lamb back on his shoulders. And the problem is, if so be that he can find that one. There was one preacher in Finland that once said that it is much harder to find that one sheep who is steeped in his own righteousness than the one that is in gross outward sin. Because that one that is the Pharisee doesn't even know that he's a sinner. God has the double work to do. God has to find him as a sinner. God has to make him to know his sins. God has to awaken him. And he has to show him that great need that exists. How that he is on that broad road of destruction where there are many there that be that go in thereat. Not knowing it at all, thinking that he is acceptable to God, and even as the Apostle Paul, doing it all in good conscience, bringing God's people back even. That's how darkened and black this heart of ours can become when the darkness of our self-worth and righteousness begins to overwhelm us that we will even persecute the very Christians, those that are saved by his uh, uh, wondrous grace. They will be accused 
and tormented and blasphemed because they do not know their own hearts. They do not know what sin is. Being ignorant of God's righteousness, they have gone about to establish their own righteousness. And they are there until such a time that till God can reach them through the power of the gospel. We remember that other instance where those Pharisees, those same ones again, the spiritually pure in their own own eyes who condemned others in order that they might justify themselves, not knowing that Jesus said that the harlots and the publicans are going to go into the kingdom of God before them. That's how blind it could be. And they came and brought a woman who was caught in the act of adultery, tempting him that now what would she do because they knew that he was a man whose forgiveness was so exceedingly great that he would undoubtedly forgive her. But the law said she should be stoned. And how then was this going to be that he could get out of this trap that they had set for him, as it were. Here was a law that said she should be stoned. They caught her in the act, and now they brought her to him to tempt him that what he was he going to do. We remember that Jesus began to write upon the ground. And as he wrote upon the ground... He then got up and said, He that is without sin cast the first stone. We don't know what he wrote, but all we know is that there was not one that left in that first session of what he wrote on the ground. I wonder if he didn't write the law. Because they knew the law. But when he stooped down again to write upon the ground, and he writes in the fleshy tables of our hearts, in the soil that we are built of, when Adam took from the dust of this earth, and he formed man, and God breathed in his nostrils, and he became a living soul. And the Lord wants to save that soul that has been separated from him. And so he begins this work in us, so that we could know what he has brought to us when he has brought his blood to cleanse us from our sins. And when he writes to us, in us, he begins by the finger of God to write in our conscience what we are, what sin is. And we could defend ourselves before the law as Paul did, but we couldn't defend ourselves before the gospel. Because when they he wrote... In the ground the second time, we remember how they all left from the eldest to the youngest. And I think that that doesn't say much for us who have grown old, because we have accumulated that much more sin, that much more practice of sin. And they were convicted to that measure that they left one by one. And then the Lord turns to that one who was accused and said, Where are these thine accusers? 
and there was none. He forgives her and says that thy sins, which are many, are forgiven. Go in peace. Go in peace. Go and sin no more. When the Lord forgives, he doesn't allow us to continue in sin. That isn't the way the gospel teaches. It's a word of truth. It leads unto truth. It wants us to remain in the truth. But the justice of God is so wonderful and so great that judgment begins here at the house of God. And so when this judgment at the house of God is able to be proclaimed, it's not a word of condemnation to the one who's a sinner. It's a word of mercy. And that mercy of God absolves us and forgives us of every last taint of sin. And so in this instance, he wanted to teach this Pharisee something about the depth of God's grace. Remember in the other place how Jesus, when he taught the Pharisees, he says, you pay tithes of mint, anise, and cumin, and have forgot the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Beloved, the word of faith teaches us a different kind of kingdom than our minds could possibly understand except God open to us. His kingdom, his kingdom is that rock that cannot be moved, though the gates of hell prevail against it. It is that sure kingdom that is divided in this world from the foundation of it. It is the kingdom of his dear son. It is called the kingdom of his grace. Do we speak too much grace? We can't begin to fathom the depth of it. And yet the grace of God is not such that it winks at sin. It is this which teaches us to deny ungodly lusts, as it is written. The grace of God which has appeared unto all men teaches us to deny ungodly lusts and to walk soberly in this present world. Doesn't the Apostle Paul say in this way, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you would present your bodies a living sacrifice wholly acceptable unto him. Now this is what the means by which we are called, by which we are led, and sustained here as God's own. And then he speaks to this man who is a Pharisee, a lesson that he could understand. Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when he had, they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simple question. Not too hard to understand. We could easily have answered that question as well. It seems logical that the one who had the greater measure forgiven, he's going to be the one that loves the most. The one that received the most forgiven, the same loved most. Simon answered and said, I suppose he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. Beloved, in the church, is it possible that there 
are more little sinners than big sinners. I would pray that God would, in the church, work such a knowledge of sin that we would all be big sinners. Because it is to them that the gospel message, even through the prophets, is directed. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be as crimson, they shall be as wool. Where sin abounds, grace does the much more abound. It doesn't mean that we have to manufacture sin, because we have enough of it to go around. We don't have to say that we have to dig for some sin, because we are one total sin from head to heel. But in the mind, we cannot comprehend that total sin. We see deeds of sin. We see acts of sin as being paramount, and we cannot see that a whole whole being is one sin, one complete sin. Perhaps you have remembered that story about that Finland preacher once who was a renowned man in the work of the kingdom of God. Yusorunti is his name. And I, I've heard that story since I was young. He had been at services, Christian services, three-day services. Heart was so cold that he couldn't stand it anymore. He went out for a walk and began to wonder what is the reason why he cannot feel the warmth of God's goodness toward him and such wonderful services and such powerful gifts that have proclaimed the word of God. And he is as cold as ice. And he goes down the streets and a voice from behind him says, You so, you're a fool. And he turns around and says, You so, you're looking for one, some particular fault and you're one complete fault. There's something there, my friends. Because God has to show us that we are one complete fault in order that we have come to recognize that we have been redeemed of a 10,000 talent debt of sin. It isn't just those 500 pence or 100 pence. There has been a 10,000 talent debt that has been paid for us that we could not possibly pay. No matter how much we would be sorrowful, how much we would offer, how much we would work, we couldn't begin to pay one iota of that great debt debt that we owe the Lord because of our unbelief. That's what God has given to us in Christ. He has redeemed us from the very essence and mother of all sin, and that is that which we have partaken of in Christ. And so it is that when God is able to reveal that to us, we are not as a little sinner. Just about everybody in the world will acknowledge that they're sinners, but the world is full of little sinners. And the word of the Bible is that the Lord Jesus come, has come to seek and to save the lost. That's the kind of sinners he is looking for. The ones that have nothing with which to pay. The ones that have no possible hope. Because that which is before them is such glorious holiness and perfection that there is no way that we can attain unto it. The Lord knows the value of that gift of everlasting life that he has offered to us. We as human beings, we cannot really see its value as clearly as we ought. We ask the Lord that he would open to our understanding a greater measure of that which is the recompense of the reward, that which is the value of our soul to attain eternal glory 
in the life that is without end. Jesus knows how to put that value on his gift to us. And he has said it in so many ways. Blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for great is the reward in heaven. Paul says it another way. Eye hasn't seen nor ear heard what God has prepared for them that love him, but he has revealed it to us by his Spirit. So this revelation that he gives us by his Spirit is able to open our understanding what is the value of knowing Christ and his salvation. Jesus says that what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What shall a man possibly give in exchange for his soul? If we would gain the whole world and lose our soul, what does it profit a man? And we as human beings, we struggle and we labor for this world's mammon as it really seems to be the most important. That's our nature. And as Christians even, we succumb to it to a great extent because we need to provide a living, but sometimes it's even more than a living. But the Lord has to put our priorities in order. The Lord wants to put those priorities in such order that would keep that which he offers to us as the greatest treasure. That our treasure would not be in things of this earth, but it would be in heaven. Heavenly treasures has promised us. Okay, he then says, He turned to the woman and said to Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered in thine house, and thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. The whole matter of this text turns upon the love of God. And how we had viewed and valued the love of God. There was one of the church, the church of Ephesus, that the Lord had said something, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. What have you found to be that first love? Is it our love toward God? Is it not the love that he has shown us and how we rejoice in knowing that we are his child? That's that first love that I have experienced as well as you, I am sure. And he reminds us there not to leave that first love but to rejoice in that, because this is the most precious, that we have been able to experience and draw an eye to this love that has come down from heaven. And uh, this Pharisee did not think that was so very great. And yet this woman, she bestowed that love upon him, and he rewarded her, with forgiveness. Forgiveness. The 
Woman didn't do anything herself. God had worked all that. You know, the work of salvation is a complete work. He has called us. He has found us. Even while we didn't seek him, he has begun that great work within us, cleansed us and washed us. And then he has put his spirit to abide within us to lead us. All these things are his work, and we have no claim on any of it ourselves. But we thank God that he has been able to do so. And that's what God wants to hear. Because praise must come from the house of God. And uh, it's not going to come from the world because they haven't experienced what they have in the house of God. And so this praise comes from the house of God to whom he has redeemed and blessed and there she, he says, her sins are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said to her, thy sins are forgiven. And they say, they decided to meet with him, began to say within themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also? And that was a question, and it is also a question today, that we remember how the Lord was in that house where he healed the one who was the man sick of the palsy. And uh, he said, Be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And they that were there, they began to think that this man blasphemed because he forgave his sin. The Christian community on the outside of those who are of the doctrine of Christ they take the words of the Pharisee and say that who can forgive sins but God alone? Christ didn't say that. Christ has given that office, which is the office of the Holy Ghost, and committed it to his church to bring the gospel message to the needy, to the, impenit- to the penitent sinners. And it is to be used freely. Sometimes it had been taught something that, oh, don't give a general absolution to the people because that's Free grace, that's, such a, that's, that's robbing grace, as though there were some kind of grace thieves to receive it as a general blessing. I remember Brother Ralph Davidson once said of an experience he had been told about, where he, there was this man that had proclaimed a general forgiveness to the whole of the uh, congregation. And uh, someone came after him in the, between the services and said, that that was not right, that he would for- forgive um, the sins in a general way of the congregation. And he said, oh, I'll take care of that when I get up the next time. And uh, when he gets up the next time, he says that the whole world can believe their sins forgiven in Jesus' blessed name and blood. It's just not this congregation and we who are gathered here, but all man. It is proclaimed to all. It is free to all, if they will but receive it. Beloved, here is something concerning the question of the doctrine that we confess, of the proclamation of the absolution. Jesus told that one in the house where he healed the, the, the one sick of the palsy in the ninth chapter, I believe it is, of Matthew. 
he asks the question that what is easier to say? Which would be easier for him to say, arise and walk, or to say, thy sins be forgiven thee? What was it, my friends, for Jesus, the one who could calm the seas, raise the dead, open the eyes of the blind, and heal every sickness that was all afflicted upon this earth, for him to say, arise and walk? That was not the problem for him, beloved. But for him to say, thy sins be forgiven, the element required that he would endure the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He had to walk through Gethsemane, there praying upon his face upon the ground, crying unto God, if it be possible that this cup pass from me. But let not my will be done, thy will be done. He had to endure the scourging, the mockery, the shame, and then to be nailed to the cross in order that he could say, Thy sins be forgiven thee. Beloved, it is a precious gospel that we confess, that we have to admit to administer to the needy, and we have freely been given that gospel, freely we have received, freely we give. It is this message that we desire to proclaim even tonight to you who are here, should there be one whose heart is heavy, because sin has befallen you. You can believe at this moment, all of your sin forgiven, every last one forgiven and blotted out in Jesus' blessed and holy name, and for the sake of his atoning shed blood. Be of good cheer, he says, thy sins be forgiven thee. I also, as your servant, would like to hear that same message of the gospel. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. We encourage one another to believe unto joy reigns supreme in the heart, in your hearts, because here is where the matter rests. The one thing most needful, the one thing that is needful, that we can walk here as the blessed of the Lord. There are those who are blessed of the Lord. The Lord tells us in the book of Revelation when he speaks there concerning that great multitude that could not be numbered from every corner of this world. And when the question was asked of the elder, who are these? These are they that have come out of great tribulation and have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Beloved, we are those who desire to walk as those saints have walked also, washed in the blood of the Lamb, cleansed in that crimson tide, and forever glorifying, praising, and thanking God that it allowed us worthy to be partakers of the power of the gospel. He concludes this text by saying, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace.
It isn't the fact that we have heard the forgiveness proclaimed to us that makes us acceptable to God. It's because we have believed that message by God's grace. Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. And we are encouraged to receive that peace because that peace that he gives to us is not a peace that this world gives. He says, Peace I give to you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. We don't proclaim fear in the gospel. That kind of gospel that is a fearful message is not gospel at all. It is pure law. May God help us that we comfort in Zion. Because as the prophet has said, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. In Jesus' name, amen. And I want to thank you for the great love that you have shown me. It's been a joy to be here, to meet so many friends, and to enjoy the hospitality that you have shown me. May God be with you. I pray that God would allow you to remember me and my family and my congregation there in Astoria, and that one day we can meet and that, that gathering where we'll never have to part. And God only knows when that is going to be. But he said, I'm, he's coming soon. May God bless you in that, to that end. Amen. As a congregation and together with our many brothers and sisters from the Ipswich, we all would want to thank Brother Ben Johnson and his wife Carol for coming into our midst and being with us. We have rejoiced in the precious word of God that has been granted on to us. Often as we journey and especially as we appear to be nearing the latter parts of our journey, we realize that that this blessing that we have to be able to gather on God's word is not something that will go on and on. We have so many times already seen that one after another has been left by the wayside in faith. They have fallen in this life and have arisen to a better life. And as we talked, Brother Wilford and I this afternoon, that that so many of the ones that we knew not too many years past, it seems, are already gone, and many of our precious brothers who have been speakers are gone. And as we think then that sometimes it seems that we can have services and we can become physically a little tired, but remember that the day is coming when you would wish that you could come to a service because our physical body will not always allow it. We had a precious visit with Sister Millie Cusisto, and I know that at this point it would be such a great joy again for her to be able to have her health as good as it was once and be together with God's children. And as we see then these elders who are there in the nursing homes and then on their sick beds and finally as they leave this life, 
that their memories, often their memories come back to these gatherings that we've had. So rejoice and thank God that you're able to be united around God's word. And when you feel that, that you are becoming tired, remember that, that this day will soon be over. And we desire, as the brother said, to be united in a better land where sin, sorrow, sickness, and death will never torment us again. And I just would want to thank them, ask them to carry greetings back with them to their home congregation, their families, and all our loved ones who are in the West Coast. How preciously that we can be together from the East Coast to the West Coast and and rejoice in this precious uh, gospel and doctrine that we have where the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed and where we as God's children can receive it into our own hearts and how much we need it. It would seem as we get older that surely we don't need it so much, but I believe as we get older we all the more value and appreciate the fact that God is a gracious and a merciful God and that he doesn't require from us that we would work for our salvation because we have long since come to realize that there is nothing that we can do that we might be saved. We are sinners saved by grace, and we thank God for the grace of forgiveness. And I want to thank all of you for gathering here this evening. God bless you all. Can we close in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day of grace, for the word that you have granted unto us, for the blessing of a Christian fellowship that we have had, for the blessings of food and all the gatherings that have taken place. Lord, we are appreciative even in this time and as we see the time coming where we remember the birth of our Lord again cause us to remember that the most important birth is that it would be within our hearts that he would be alive and well there that we would be able then to be assured that no matter what the days are ahead of us that they are all cared for because, Lord, you are caring for them. And when trials and tribulations may get worse, that only that we have to remember that the one who has fed those who walked through the wilderness those 40 years, the one who has cared for our forefathers throughout these thousands of years, preserved a living faith, will keep it till the end time. You have promised us this. So bless us then, Lord, that we can this evening continue to believe that we are your children. We thank thee for all thy blessings in Jesus' most precious name. Now the Lord bless us and keep us. The Lord make his face shine upon us and be gracious unto us. The Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us everlasting peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
On Monday, there will be a board meeting at 7.30. Wednesday, there will be Bible study at 7.30. Next Sunday, there will be Sunday school at 9.30, followed by a worship service at 11. Next Sunday is the uh, day for our Sunday school Christmas program. That will be at 4 o'clock. In closing, we'll sing song number 552. Thank you.